Hello, this is James Fairchild, and welcome to my podcast. This week, we're looking at property. Before we start, thank you for feedback received on last week's episode around apprenticeships. Coincidentally, a very respected podcaster, a long-time contact of mine, Daniel Barnett, an employment law barrister, his podcast this week is about that very same topic, apprenticeships. Interestingly, he gives completely different content to me. So if you are considering taking on an apprentice, be sure to look up the podcast Employment Law Matters and subscribe to content from Barrister Daniel Barnett. I'm going to do weekly tips at the end of this week's podcast. You'll see why later. First of all, I had planned an all-encompassing podcast around a number of different issues pertaining to property, aiming at both the novice and the experienced investor. Although I very quickly realised that to do justice to all of the above I would end up talking for about three hours, and I'm quite sure that nobody wants that. This episode is therefore focused around property from the perspective of a new investor or a novice investor or potential investor, and there will be a future part two and quite probably part three around property aimed at different people which I shall do later in the year. We start off with a question from a listener, Jamie, who asks if I could explain how the rent-a-room allowance works. So, if you have a house that you live in, you don't necessarily need to own that house, but a house you live in where you let a furnished room or more than one furnished room to one or more lodgers, you can take income of up to £7,500 per year tax-free. So how does this work? First of all, if you and your spouse own the property jointly, that 7500 limit is halved, £3,750 for you and your spouse each. And that limit is regardless of the number of lodgers you have or how many rooms you let out to lodgers. So the basic premise is if the income from your lodger or lodgers is within that limit, there is no tax to pay on the profits as a result of renting rooms or room out in your property. The limit, the £7,500 or the three seven fifty, includes whatever the lodger or lodgers pay for rent and anything they may pay on top of that if you provide meals or something like a cleaning service uh, for them. And it applies both if you have a regular lodger, someone who has lived in your house on a long-term, ongoing basis, or if you run 
a guest house, a bed and breakfast, whatever you might uh, want to call it. But this must pertain to your property that you yourself live in. If your income from your lodger or lodgers goes over those limits, then some tax will need to be paid and HMRC give a choice of methods to calculate that. You can either take whatever your income is and deduct the allowance, either the seven and a half or the 3750, and that's the amount upon which you pay tax. Alternatively, you can take whatever your actual income is and then deduct your expenses in providing the lodger or the guest room service. So to recap, you need to live in the property at the same time as the lodger and you need to provide furnished accommodation. You don't necessarily need to provide every single piece of furniture in the bedroom, but the property does need to be furnished and it's for a domestic sleeping bedroom only. Uh, not if somebody hires a room that they purely use as an office or something. The next thing I want to talk about is tax-free property allowance of £1,000 per year. Now, this cannot overlap with the previously mentioned rent-a-room allowance. However, it's quite possible that you could rent a room under the basis I've just described, and then perhaps you lease out your garage, your shed, or your driveway. And because that's a different piece of property, you can then claim the property allowance of up to a thousand pounds on that. So a garage is perhaps a good example. With this allowance, if you do own a property jointly with perhaps a spouse, both of you this time get a thousand pound allowance. Assuming, however, that what you would like to do is purchase a completely separate dwelling and rent that out to tenants, you will be in the situation where you are a property investor and you or an accountant acting on your behalf will need to fill out the property section of a tax return for you. Now, there are a lot of different considerations when considering the, pur the purchase of a first rental property. One point is around mortgage interest. And this is, uh, this is a point that has been in the news uh, and online and so on for the past few years. Previously, no longer, whatever costs you paid for mortgage interest, these could be offset against income. That has changed. The effect in the tax year that we're in at the moment, the 1920 tax year that finishes at the start of this April, is that 25% of mortgage interest costs can be recovered in that way. The other 75% you get a tax credit for at basic rate at 20%. The effect from 
April, from April 2020 onwards, is that everything will be accounted for via that tax credit. One way to avoid this that is oft discussed on property forums is to incorporate a limited company for the purpose of property purchase, property management, investment. This is quite possibly a valid outcome. However, it does depend very much on your personal circumstances. All I will say about this is that it really is a good idea to sit down separately with both an accountant, solicitor and a, a mortgage broker to get their advice and their specific thoughts on both scenarios. Some thoughts from me around property training. If you Google property advice training or something similar, you'll get a number of uh, results, a number of different propositions. There are a good deal of people who are offering training courses for the aspiring property investor. I'm quite sure that some of these courses are very good. I'm quite sure that there's some genuine useful content uh, that, uh, that is taught on them. However, do think very carefully before going too far down this route. A uh, couple of courses where the cost to attend is modest may well be a very wise investment, but something where the cost is into thousands, then you want to be very clear on the benefits you're going to get and whether you will actually achieve the sorts of things that are promised to you. I'm going to give now my thoughts on some of the buzzwords in the world of property investing. BRR or BRRR, buy, refurbish, refinance, rent. The idea is that you would purchase a property at a particular level. You would refurbish that property and refurbish could be anything from paint and carpets through to gutting, extending, going upwards, going out. Obviously very specific to the, the actual property and the site. And then once you finished your refurbishment, you would then look to refinance the property or finance it for the first time if you paid, uh, paid cash for it. And the idea would be that if you bought a property at a particular level, undertook an amount of work, that the property value would have increased by more than the value of the work that was done. And you can then take out a, a mortgage based on that new value. This is absolutely fine to a point. However, I would caution against over-mortgaging. There is a sad circumstance that I assisted with uh, during the course of last year. A gentleman owned a terrace property, which he had lived in at one point, and was then 
rented out uh, to tenants and was then empty. Unfortunately, this gentleman suffered life-changing injuries in a road accident and the result for him was that there was a property with around 70,000 pounds outstanding to the mortgage mortgage provider and a realistic value on the property bearing in mind its location and so on was of the order of 20 to 30,000 pounds indeed on a monthly basis the mortgage payment that needed to be be made each month was actually more than the rent that was coming in from the previous tenant which was which was market rent unfortunately for the family concerned there about the only option was to allow the property to be reclaimed repossessed by the bank we do always assume that property tends to go up in value and by and large that is true but obviously it depends on the specifics as a very general rule something like an attractive family home in a nice area quite possibly will increase in value year, year on year but perhaps a, a terraced house in a less desirable part of town where the only likely purchasers are investors there may be less of an increase or indeed no increase at all it's suggested by a number of the property training providers that ending up in a situation where you've pulled all of your money out of a property by remortgaging and don't actually have anything left in it at all is a good idea it could well be obviously depending on the specifics but i would caution against that kind of approach because on a monthly basis you do want to ensure that there is some profit available rent to rent or r2r is another bus phrase the notion is that the owner of a property will let that property as a whole to somebody who can then perhaps rejig the layout and let it out on a room by room basis. We call this a, a HMO, house in multiple occupancy, uh, or bed sit. And again, this may well be an approach that works for some people, whether you get lucky and find find a, a property owner who is content to allow you to run his property in a different way or her property and make money and whether the making money is enough to factor in the risk is another matter. Again, do, do some research. Look at forums. Look at different websites, LinkedIn groups, that kind of thing. A uh, couple of uh, forums in particular that I will shout out to. There's Property Tribes and also the Landlord Zone Forum. You can find both of those sites by Googling. Another 
Thus phrase is BMV or below market value. The idea being that it is a good thing to purchase a property for less than it's worth. To explain this or to give examples of this, I'm going to I'm going to refer to both BMV, below market value, and also current market value. Let's suppose we have a road filled with identical properties, three bedroom semi for the sake of argument. And let's suppose that a property in good order in that road, property that's ready to move into and occupy, is worth £150,000. And let's suppose that there's another property which needs work. Perhaps it's been empty for a period of time. Perhaps it's still got old, uh, old-fashioned windows with single glazing. The toilet and the kitchen are old-fashioned. Let's suppose that that property is worth £120,000 on account that it needs work. So that would be the current market value. Either of those properties, it is possible in theory to purchase at below market value. Maybe you could save £10,000 and buy the property that's ready to move into for £140,000 or buy the doer-upper property for 110 and you've saved 10,000 pounds and you've got your below market value and you would have got that discount on the basis perhaps that you can move quickly that you don't have a chain you don't have anything to sell and that that appeals to the seller of the property and they are happy to forego income in exchange for perhaps a lower amount of money sooner. But be aware whether you are actually getting a good deal or not. Final point from me around property is to consider if something goes wrong, consider what you would do during the interim. If you Google how long to evict a tenant UK, the first result, or the first result for me, was a page on the Shelter website which suggests five months. Remember, during those five months, when you quite possibly have no income coming in because the, the tenant is not paying, you still need to service your mortgage. You still need to keep up insurance on the property. Believe it or not, if something goes wrong with that property, let's say the boiler breaks down, even if the tenant is not paying, you are required to deal with that boiler or whatever deficiency it is and were you not to do so that could quite possibly be something used against you at any eviction hearing. We're going to close this week with some tips and these tips all come from property investors whom I know. I won't uh, identify people by name but each tip comes from an investor with a portfolio worth over a million pounds, uh, in one case significantly higher than that. So these people have the t-shirt. I'm just going to read these out in the order I've scribbled them down. Cash is king. Buy cash and refinance. A good solicitor can help close deals quickly so you get a bargain. 
No planning rules, especially permitted development. Housing benefit or DSS is guaranteed money that comes with conditions. Do you want yield or property value? Both of them lead to different end goals. Do proper homework. Speak to local estate agents to understand the market for letting, the likelihood of getting a tenant quickly and the likely price you might get. If looking at an apartment, ensure you understand in detail how the ground rent works, any service charges, community cost, a sinking fund for future repairs. Look up the previous selling prices for both the property you are looking at and also local comparables and ensure that you have equity in whatever deal is on the table. Rent must exceed the cost of your mortgage, insurance and all the other costs and aim to build up a pot of cash for future property repair bills. If the boiler does break down or there's some kind of electrical issue at the property, you as the landlord will be required to deal with that immediately and any undue delay could well see you liable for things like alternative accommodation for that particular tenant. Thank you for listening. As always, I welcome your tips and questions, suggestions, and I can be contacted by email at media at weeklyfd.com. That's FD as in Foxtrot Delta or Finance Director. I would also welcome your review of this podcast on iTunes or on whichever podcast app you are listening through. Some future topics that I am going to bring to you over the coming months include inheritance, IR35, debt collection strategies, pensions, making tax digital. And for a couple of these topics, I will be pleased to introduce a guest to you. I close by reminding you that the contents of this podcast give general case information which, while believed valid at the time of recording, can change and may not be the appropriate decision for you or your specific circumstances. You are advised to seek specific advice, paid-for advice from an accountant, solicitor, financial advisor, mortgage broker, as the case may be, myself as the author, creator of this podcast and on behalf of the apps or websites that you might be listening to this podcast through have no liability for any reliance on the content herein and the content is aimed principally at England. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.